friends. Eric Nevins here. We're going to get the show started in just a moment. But first, I wanted to just put out the call again because I've had the chance to talk to several of you about what you like about the show. This week, I got to talk to Sean. Sean, thanks so much for reaching out and uh, chatting with me. I can't wait to hang out with you a lot more. Um, But also, we had a great conversation and Sean was able to share with me what he likes about the show and what he wants to hear more of. That means a lot to me and it really is helpful. So I want to put this call out again. If you've heard this show, you've heard this uh, conversation and and me ask you to, to reach out uh, before and you haven't done anything, today's your day, okay? Just do it right now. Just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact, halfwaytherepodcast.com slash contact and just send me an email. Let me know that you want to hear, uh, that you want to talk to me, and I will set up a call with you. We'll do, you know, could be 15 minutes, could be half an hour, whatever works in your schedule. Uh, I'm happy to spend time. I want to I want to hear from you. I want to know, uh, anyway, I've got a long, I've got a conversation that I want to have. So um, if you want to do that, I would love to hear from you. Uh, again, it's really super easy, halfwaythereepodcast.com slash contact. Thanks again, Sean. It was great to connect with you. We'll see you later. Uh, hey, let's let's do the show. All right. Well, welcome to Halfway There, my friends. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this. I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I've been uh, following our guest today on Twitter for a long time and got a chance to just connect with him. Um, He is the founder and director of Alongsiders International. He's also an author, including um, several books, but I want to highlight Urban Halo and a book that I've been reading recently, Subversive Jesus, An Adventure in Justice, Mercy, and Faithfulness in a Broken World. Uh, my guest is Craig Greenfield. Craig, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, great to be with you, Eric. Yeah, I'm so glad to make the connection, and uh, it's always fun. I've been really seeking out people um, like yourself, so I think I mentioned to you before that are not kind of in my immediate context, and so I really appreciate you kind of um, you know, just making the connection with me and, and sharing your story with me. No problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm over here in Cambodia, so I'm out of most people's context, but Absolutely. Um, it's good to, good to be connected all around the world. It is. It's the power of the, of the internet, right? That's uh that's a yeah. tool that we get to use for good. So uh, yeah. that, that'll be fun. Um, yeah. Cambodia. So that is, uh, I know that it's an interesting story and we're going to, we're going to talk about that, but tell us a little bit about, what you do now? Sure. Well, um, I lead a movement called Alongsiders. It's a it's a discipleship movement. Um, basically, it's in the non-Western world. So we uh, we challenge young Christians um, across Asia and Africa to walk alongside one child each in their own community, kind of like a little brother mm. or a little sister, and disciple them, encourage them, love them, and. Um, yeah, it's a simple but powerful commitment, and we're we're seeing there's about more than five thousand involved in the movement now worldwide in sixteen countries, and so we're we're seeing something significant happening amongst um, this this generation, um, particularly in the non-Western world. Mm. So it's exciting. It's exciting to see what God is doing. Yeah, what do they do as as like a big brother? What is that role like, and what are the results that you've been seeing? 
Yeah, so so we call them alongsiders rather than big brothers, but basically they um, they choose someone who's their neighbor. It could be a could be a child who's orphaned or, or struggling in some way. Um, and a lot of these kids, a lot of these alongsiders themselves are very poor. They may, you know, I've visited them in mud huts in, in parts of Africa or in slum shacks across here in Asia. Um, and so they're poor themselves, but they're a few steps ahead of their little brother and sister. So um, they go and visit them. We've we've developed a, a whole comic book curriculum. We use mobile phone apps and um, animations and all that kind of stuff to to really connect in ways that engage um, children and youth these days. Yeah. And um, just really build a relationship. I, I believe that it's relationships that um, you know God uses relationships to transform lives in the discipleship. Um, if we want people to know how to follow Jesus in everyday life, we need to disciple them in everyday life, not just in a classroom once a week. Right. Yeah. There's a way that the way of Jesus is about what we do every day rather than what we know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Not, not to say that what we know is unimportant. That's, that's very valuable as well. But, um, yeah. <laughs> well, so you, I want to just hear more of your story and hear about uh, how you came to this place. And so tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up. So you grew up in New Zealand. Yeah, I grew up in New Zealand, um, pretty affluent background, um, you know, kind of a majority white neighborhood. Um, but my parents uh, lived lives of what I what I would now call radical hospitality. Um so they had a they had a big house, but they filled it up with um, people who uh, had come in in refugee situations, foster kids, people out of prison, and so I grew up kind of um, bridged between these two worlds, kind of an affluent white uh, upbringing, but my parents just welcoming people from the margins into our home and into our lives, and um, that for me was the fleshing out of what it means to follow Jesus. And so when I uh, made my own decision to follow Jesus later on, um, it was natural that um, I would kind of seek seek out those ways of following mm -hmm. Jesus and discovering Jesus amongst the poor and exploring what he meant when he said, blessed are the poor, and I've come to bring good news to the poor. Yeah. And so that's been a huge part of my journey and, and what brought me to Cambodia and to live in the slums in Cambodia. So why did they do that? <laughs> like what? So what? What? Like I guess I mean obviously we could say okay they you know because they were Jesus followers but why like why in the world would they, uh you know why did that occur to them? What what was in their background that made them think we've got to do this? Good question. I I've actually have never really grappled with that. I know my mom grew up real poor herself, mm. and she knew what it was like to be uh to be lacking um in material possessions. Her um. Her family was uh, was dysfunctional in some ways, and so, yeah, I guess she was living out um, something that she had um, experienced God's love and was was passing that on to others. And then my father was grew up in in India, and his parents were missionaries in India. So um, there's there's background stuff there that I guess we could we could trace. And it's it's often when we get out of our comfort zone, when our eyes see the rest of the world or experience something that that our hearts are impacted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so interesting. I I want to take a trip with our kids sometime soon because just just because of that, like we we need to get outside yeah. of 
suburban Denver, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I kind of feel like what the eye has not seen, the heart um, cannot grieve because there's so much, you know, there's so much information out there, but until we kind of experience it face to face, it's hard to, hard to truly make it, um, yeah, part of our story, part of what God's doing in our own lives. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you have this really amazing example of parents who, even though they were fluent, they they wanted to use that to to help people. And uh, mm-hmm. so when you you mentioned that when you decided to follow Jesus, it was natural to go that way. Also, how did you decide? How did that happen for you that you were going to follow Jesus? Um, well, yeah, I guess. It, it might you might be surprised to know that I I didn't immediately want to follow Jesus even growing up like that I I felt like wow the, the stakes are high on this um, yeah there's no half there's no half measures and I I wasn't sure I was fully in so actually it wasn't until 21 before I I uh, kind of turned turned towards Jesus um, and and at that point it was it took a pretty radical uh, um, grabbing of my neck from, from God to really turn me around because I kind of felt, um, yeah, to follow Jesus is not something we do half-heartedly. It's not something we, we give him 10% of our time and money and we're, and we're sweet. Um, it's something that, that takes our whole life. Yeah. Well, do you want to share that story? Like what, what happened? What was, you know, it sounds dramatic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't share the story much, but um, yeah, well, I actually had a, I had a kind of a spiritual warfare encounter and um, someone was praying for me and I uh, experienced um, what I would characterize as um, some spiritual warfare. And uh, it took many hours. Um, other people had to be come in and, and be a part of praying and um I was that night, there was just absolutely no question whatsoever in my mind that um, the spiritual realm is real, that there's a battle going on. And um, I'm not super charismatic or anything, um, but um, that was certainly my entrance into, into the faith. Oh, interesting. And so you just, you, because you had that experience with apparently some nefarious forces, I guess I'll say, uh, they, you decided I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I wonder if, if that kind of on ramp into, into the faith, um, was significant just in the, in the sense of, you know, now that I work in Asia and Africa, that's very real for people here. Um, you know, in the Western world, uh, it's peripheral, um, unless you're in the charismatic church, um, but here in Asia and Africa, that's just a given. It's just a part of everyday life. And uh, I could tell you interesting stories around how that kind of thing plays out here. Yeah. Oh, so fascinating. That's interesting. If that maybe was a, like you kind of needed to have that experience knowing that God, God knowing that later on, that would be something that you would deal with and had to have a, a kind of a yeah. openness. I mean, uh, to... God, God takes everything, eh? And he, uh, mixes it up. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. I'm curious about your early learning experiences. Cause I'm guessing that you were already steeped in the church, even if you hadn't gotten your life to, to Christ, if your parents were believers. What, so how did you yeah. learn, begin to learn after you became a believer on your own? How did you, 
how did you learn? How did God kind of teach you about him? Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of, of course, what I've described so far has been kind of experiential and almost emotional, but I, I'm, a, I'm a head person. And oh, so yeah. uh-huh. um, God has certainly taught me through books and through teachers and those kind of things have been a big part of my journey. Um, reading often outside of kind of um, the mainstream stuff because um, my experiences of, of being amongst the poor um, we're not addressed by most Christian authors. And that's one of the reasons why I've chosen to to write a bit, even though it's not doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. Um, I don't love blogging, but um I just find no one's no one's writing about this stuff. And there's a majority of the yeah. church, majority of the world is is living it. We need a theology that that speaks to us about it. Um, but but part of my experience was going to Cambodia. Um, I was at university. Um, I got to know um, some young folks in the slums, and uh, there was one particular guy. I had, I had practiced my Cambodian language and tried really hard to um, to come up with a gospel presentation in Cambodian, and I shared it with him one day when we were out, um, and uh, and he looked at me with his his big eyes, kind of watery, and just looked me in the face, and he said, um, "Craig, this is not for me. I'm very poor. I'm very poor." Oh, wow. And um, and my response was, well, no, you're not you're not getting it. This is for rich and for poor. It's for Asian and Western. It's for everybody. It's just good news. It's generic. Uh. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, he said, no, Craig, I am very poor. And uh, and you know that that struck me. I went home and I I had a sleepless night and. Uh, and from that point on, I just began grappling with Jesus went out of his way to say he'd come to bring good news to the poor. Right. And yet somehow what I was communicating did not sound like good news to him, did not sound like something that was for him. And so um, in many ways, I've spent the next 20 years of my life, uh, the, the last 20 years of my life since that day, Figuring out what does it mean to bring good news to the poor. Oh wow, that's just that's so amazing. Is what's interesting about it is it's the exact opposite of the rich young ruler, right? The guy who mm. was just rich <laughs> and was like, "No, I yeah. can't. I can't give it yeah. all away." Yeah, well, the, the good news sounded like bad news to him, right? <laughs> no and and uh, if you look at um, the Magnificat or Mary's song from Luke. Um, yeah, so one way of putting it is the, the good news is good news to the poor. And, um, for those of us who are in power and with wealth, uh, there's, there's some, there's some hard stuff in there. Can you just give us a little bit about why the Magnificat is, speaks to us there? Yeah, well, um, I love the Magnificat because, um, well, it's, it's the, it's the longest, um, recorded words of a woman um, in the Bible. And, uh, it's interesting how it's been, uh, banned from being spoken and read in all kinds of countries around the world under, under gun, um, under the British Imperial rule of India. Um, it was banned. Um, wow. and when the, when the British rule came to an end, Gandhi said, we're gonna, we're gonna have this read, um, all over India. And so throughout history, it's kind of been one of these subversive texts that we skip over, especially us Westerners. Um, 
we skip over these words that say um, the rich will be sent away hungry and the poor will be fed. The, the powerful will be torn down from their thrones and the, the lowly will be lifted up. And uh, one of the ways that we deal with radical, subversive passages like this in the Gospels is to hyper-spiritualize them. Um, instead of recognizing that um, that there are um, economic aspects of the gospel, there are political aspects of the gospel, mm. Jesus wants to transform every part of our life. And um, in fact, I would I would say that if you look through the gospels, when we see where, where it said Jesus preached the good news, it says almost in every in every instant it says the good news of the kingdom of God, and mm, yeah. uh, the kingdom of God. Um, is so much more than a ticket to heaven after we die, which is what I was offering my poor friend in the slum. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was offering him. Hey, um, free ticket to heaven after you die. And he was saying, well, actually, right here and now, um, I am poor. I am struggling. <laughs> and, um, and what I missed at that time was that the kingdom of God is something that Jesus asks us to call to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And that there are very real earthly implications um, for what the gospel means um, for each of us. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. The church, particularly here in, in America, we're wrestling with this a little bit. You know, the it, for 40 years... Uh, mostly is evangelicals have been very unified politically and uh, mm -hmm. the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is definitely dividing that and showing, showing yeah. some, some crack. You're like, Oh, okay. That's it's, it's causing us to have to wrestle with some of these things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's probably a good thing. Absolutely. We need, we need to deconstruct a little bit. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so. And then, and then we can, we can build back up. Wow. Yeah, well, thanks yeah. for doing that. I appreciate, you know, I have not read that. Um, I think you're right. The Magnificat and all kind of the prophets, it's all over the prophets, things like that, where mm -hmm. I just haven't read it that way. I've read it very spiritualized. And there's something tangible when, yeah. when Jesus becomes, uh, you know, for the right now that, that changes how we think about him and uh, what the good news yeah. actually is. I love that. Yeah, I mean, uh, we it's it's kind of natural that we do that, and I, I, you know, historically we've done that since Constantine came into power and became a Christian. As soon as Christians went from being a, a persecuted minority to being in power, we had to we had to tone down and water down the words of Jesus by spiritualizing them, and uh, that's why it's so dangerous in America that that Christians seek so much political power. Mm. Because then we uh, we become part of the status quo, and we're defending our our patch, rather than becoming right. part of the subversive resistance uh, of building a new society inside the shell of the old uh, that Jesus calls us to be. Right. Yeah, I have a friend who talks about uh, crucifying our politics to pledge allegiance to the Lamb. <laughs> And I, yeah. and he's, yeah, I love that. he's really challenged me to start thinking about, yeah, you know what? I, we, we can't be loyal to both. It's just not, no, not a thing. So, cannot. um, cannot. Oh, okay. I could go on that conversation forever, but I want to hear more about you. So, uh, I don't remember how we got off on the Magnificent either, but you were sharing the gospel <laughs> with your friend 
And you had gone to Cambodia. This was a missions trip, I guess. Like a yeah, sh- I went for six months. Okay, yeah, this at was that time. Were you just checking it out, or what? You what were you? Yeah, yeah. It was just one of those classic uh, short-term mission trips, okay. and um, took some time out from university and went over there for six months. But while I was here during that time, I, I really sensed God saying, "Come back long term. Live in the slums. Live amongst the poor." And um, and and grapple with what it means to bring good news to the poor. Yeah. Why, so why does that resonate with your heart? Like, why why did that? Why did that at that time just call you for, from your affluence into into the slum? Um, this there there was just a lot. I think when you come face to face with real poverty and suffering, it rocks your world, and you just can't. Mm. Um, you know, if you're op- if you're at least open a little bit to what God might be saying, then it's going to, it's going to mess you up. And I remember going into the genocide museum here in Phnom Penh, um, the Khmer Rouge, you know, wiped out a couple of million people. It was awful. Out the front of this genocide museum is a beggar standing. He's got one leg. He's the, he's on a crutch and he's wearing a t-shirt. And I remember it still to this day, his t-shirt has the letters WWJD. What would Jesus do? Oh, yeah. And I, I doubt he had a clue what his t-shirt meant, but it, uh, it kind of struck me. And, um, I thought, you know, I can't just be going around Cambodia and, and looking into the eyes of people who are really, you know, um, you know, they've been through a lot. How can I, um, how can I follow, go back and follow Jesus in the same way? Um, I need to come here and be amongst them and learn, learn what it means to be, to follow Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so, it's so interesting. Cause again, that's an example where we hyper-spiritualize things. Right. And we, you know, for a while here, that was one of those big, big things, right? What WWJD, yeah. everybody had the bracelet and, and yeah, uh, yeah. It means something different when you're faced with a, a person like that. Yeah. Well, well, how would right. Jesus speak to them? It's so interesting, yeah. man. I've been reading, I think I told you this, I've been reading Mark and uh, like Jesus just, mm. it, he's so interesting in Mark. He's just very, he do, he yeah. comes across people like that. Right. And he just, yeah, you know, there's Hey, one, listen, if you want to, if you want a good um, commentary on Mark from, with a perspective like this, Chad Myers, um, binding the strong man, um, will, I mean, it's, it's pretty radical, but there's some pretty interesting takes on Mark in there. He, he draws, uh, he helps you to see some of the political and economic, um, aspects of Mark. Yeah. Interesting. I will definitely check that out. That sounds good. Um, uh, okay. So this guy, so this challenged you. To, to think about, all right, I need to be here. So you, you eventually moved back, moved to Cambodia. Tell, tell us yeah. about your, what, tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, I, I really had a strong sense that I needed to move into a, a slum community and live amongst the poor. And, and just, um, one of the ways that we phrase it is tie my well being to the well being of the poor in the sense mm-hmm. of what happens to, to them, you know, the trash, the, the the electricity cuts happens to me. So I under, I have some sense of what that what that means. Um, it took me a while to get back because when I went back to New Zealand to kind of prepare myself, I met a Cambodian refugee who um, became my wife, and she had a she had a sense of calling back to Cambodia as well. And so um, it took us two or three years to kind of get get prepared and move back. In the meantime, I was. Now this is this is a weird um, 
tangent, but I, I graduated in business and marketing and went into the, the technology sector um, during the dot-com boom of the late 90s. And I was working for a software company that was making millions of dollars. Oh, wow. They were sending me they were sending me around the world to stay in five-star hotels and organize conferences. Oh wow. And part of my job was to eat in the eat in the nicest restaurants around the hotel just to see where the CEO clients of ours would would be eating and partying. So um this was kind of <laughs> one of these things where you know, I knew I was called to the slums, and here I am doing the very, it couldn't be more extreme opposite. Wow. Um, what did you do with that, like, with God? Like, what what did you do? Oh, man. I mean, it was a time of grappling. It was hard. It was hard. But um, I learned some good things. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur at heart as well. God's kind of wired me that way. And I learned some good things around, um, you know, uh, marketing and entrepreneurship and business that, you might think, you know, to go and be a missionary or work amongst the poor, you need to be a social worker or a doctor. Um, well, it's quite, it's quite amazing and, and I think kind of cool that God uses everyone and all mm. the gifts that we have and the passions that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's really cool. The, just the juxtaposition of the, of the people. And to, I would think that would say to you, okay, there are people who live like this, right? And, mm. and they need Jesus, but I was, I wondered if it kind of cemented your calling to, to Cambodia or to the slums. Yeah. You know, um, Jackie Pullinger says, if you want to witness to the rich minister to the poor. And I would say <laughs> that in ministering to the poor and living amongst the poor, I've had probably more, um, significant opportunities to minister to people who are wealthy. Um, then I might have if I was kind of hobnobbing with them living the same lifestyle. I think that very often our our following of Jesus doesn't look too different to anybody else, and so we don't they don't perceive that we have anything interesting to offer. Um, but I find that affluent people kind of seek me out because what hmm. what we're doing is is so different and so countercultural. And so I I think in in the long run we've actually impacted. Folks who are from both ends of the spectrum. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to ask you, have you had any times when you felt like God was far away or distant or when you really, I know you wrestle with God, but when you really just felt like you were not even sure he was either for you or with you or like a dark night of the soul, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I've had a couple. <laughs> That's <laughs> I common. I only had one. Um, about um, and and it's actually really physical and and tangible. Um, about seven years ago, I was in the London Underground train, and um, I was about a mile underground, and um, the train broke down. And so I was stuck underground. The tunnel was about an inch from the glass of the window. And uh, I actually experienced a, a bit of a panic attack. Everyone else just sitting there reading their newspapers, you know, and I started to freak out. And um, that was kind of the first moment of a very dark journey into claustrophobia where um, I wasn't able to get on a plane for a year. 
I, I was even having trouble getting into cars, um, certainly not elevators, those kind of things. Wow. And um, I actually experienced, um, for me, what the, some of the passages in the, Bibles that I, in the Bible that I was really resonating was, was Jesus in the cave after being crucified, before being resurrected. And um, we skip over that part. Um, we skip to the resurrection, but there wow. was three days in a cave. Right. And um, <laughs> I feel like I've known those three days. And uh, it took me a long kind of a long, a lot of work to get back on a plane. And it's it, even today. And I have to fly every month for, you know, we work in 16 countries. I um, it's it's a. It's a it's a difficult thing for me to get on a plane, and I experience God's grace and strength um, in the midst of that weakness. and mm. And one of the ways that I do that is I tell myself, "Come on, you know this this suffering that you go through every time you step on board a plane. Um, yeah, it's real suffering, but it's not you know, compared to the children that we are trying to reach, um, the children that we want to have an alongside or many of them experience great suffering and abuse. And so this is, this is a sacrifice that I can make, um, towards seeing their suffering being relieved in some small way. So that, that's been a pretty dark night of the soul. And then, um, the other one is, was going through pretty, pretty, um, serious cancer as well, um, facing death about six years ago. And, uh, so I, I guess I've known what it means to be physically and emotionally weak. And, um, I, I don't know if you can tell, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly confident person, yeah. uh, um, athletic background, you know, privileged. And I haven't experienced a lot of weakness in my life. And to to be to come face to face with um, no, I am weak and I'm broken um, is something that God God uses and calls a lot of us to go through. Oh, that's interesting. So you feel like God took, or you you related? You can. There's a way that you can relate to your the people you're serving better because you have this weakness. You yeah, feel like God's, I think God's so. pointing I think that God, out. God, um, God weakened me. I mean, I, I don't think God created the claustrophobia or the cancer, but God was able to use that sure, in my yeah, life yeah. to um, to bring me into a new place of humility and brokenness. Oh yeah, that's that's awesome. I think it's so fascinating how He does that. How those those things that we would avoid at all costs, almost right. He he ends yeah. up turning into into things that make us stronger, or not even just stronger, but just more dependent and aware of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, we kind of ride high on our own successes. <laughs> Some of us do. <laughs> right. We have the tendency to tendency to ride high on those. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, hey, let's talk a little bit about your books. Um, because I I know that uh, the Urban Halo, which I've not had a chance to read, you're giving away this month for free on your website. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. CraigGreenfield.com. Go and grab that over there. Yeah. And I'll have a link to that, friends, on HalfwayTherePodcast.com in the show notes. So uh, you can just grab it. It looks like if you just put in your information, you can you can get that book, which is great. 
tell us what, what was that? That's a story. Um, is that your story? Yeah. So that's our story of um, our first seven years living in Cambodian slums and um, grappling with how do we kind of, kind of the side story is, is how do we deal with children who are being orphaned mm. and um, a reality around the world. And, and we see, you know, this has been a, this has been in the news lately with children being separated from their families on the U S border. And how do you care for children? And um, then I got into doing a little bit of research around that. I ended up doing my postgraduate research into um, the impact of orphanages on children who are orphaned. And realized, oh wow, this is, there's a reason why we don't allow orphanages anymore in, in Western countries. Wow. Um, institutionalization of children um, is not a good thing. And so the a part part of the side story of that book is is um, how we developed more of a community based approach for caring for children, which is basically, you know, these kids have lost their parents. Let's not take them away from everyone else that they know and love as well. Yeah. So um, that's a there's a there's a there's a critique of the orphanage model in there, but also just kind of the story of what it looked like to for uh, these um, people to move into a slum and struggle along. Yeah. So you you talk about um, your stories of your time. So you eventually went to Vancouver and lived uh, in the what what do they call it East Side downtown downtown East Side. Down, down, downtown east side. I, I couldn't yeah. remember the order there. Yeah. And, and your the books of verse of Jesus is about those experiences there and what you took what you took away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I think one of the things that we tend to do is romanticize the poor who are distant to us and demonize the poor who are on our own doorstep. Oh, yeah. And it's a way of engaging with the poor at arm's length rather than in any kind of meaningful way. Because when they're distant, we can go and do a short-term trip. We can bless them, give them a few sandwiches, come back, live our lives. When they're on our doorstep, uh, we know that engaging with them means could potentially mean some kind of long-term relationship. And so we, we kind of do these right. mental gymnastics to allow us to disengage from those around us. And so we felt, you know, moving from Phnom Penh, one of the poorest cities in the world, to Vancouver, one of the, you know, most beautiful and uh, richest cities in the world, what would it look like to love the poor and move alongside and amongst those who are struggling in that kind of context? And perhaps that might even be more prophetic um, for the Western church um, in that context. So we moved into a place called the downtown east side um, People, a lot of people outside Canada don't know it exists, but it's actually the most concentrated area of yeah. drug activity in North America. Um, a few blocks of just absolute brokenness and dysfunction. Mm. And we created, a, we, we kind of set up a little Christian community there where we would welcome in those who are not always welcome in our society. What, um, you know, radical hospitality, not, not Martha Stewart kind of hospitality, but welcoming <laughs> in the people who... Um, who are not who are not always at our dinner table, the ones that Jesus said to welcome. Right. So what I find fascinating, my family and I took a trip out to Washington D.C. this this past June, and we when we were leaving, we're on our way to Union Station. We're walking because we weren't that far, so we're pulling our you know we look like tourists. We're pulling our suitcases <laughs> and everything, and we come to this corner, and there's about 
I don't know, I guess five, five people or so. And I noticed, I don't think my kids noticed this, but I noticed a drug deal basically was going down, was, was happening on this corner. This is what is, is going on. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm there with my little kids. I'm going, uh, all right. It was very uncomfortable. You, when you lived mm. in Vancouver, you had, I'm reading these stories. Like you had, you had drug dealers on your doorstep. Yeah. Like they were, they we were just people, right there. Uh, we, we would come home to people unconscious on our doorstep. Um, yeah, but you know, that's life. I mean, they, uh, there was a, one of the interesting things that we found is there was a great deal of respect for vulnerability in the downtown East side. And, and, and every, every person in the downtown East side knew that kids were off limits. Mm. And, um, so we would, we would walk down the, walk down the street, uh, you know, one kid on each hand. I had two, I have two kids and, um, and on every block, someone would yell out kids on the block and, uh, people would just put their drugs behind their backs. They'd stop the drug deal. They'd stop fighting. I remember one time, um, we were coming along, there was a fight going on and someone, they didn't notice, but halfway through, as we were approaching, someone yelled out, Hey, shut the F up, man. Can't you see there's kids on the block? <laughs> and so they, you know, the, they had just this respect for vulnerability. And that to me, uh, you know, the police couldn't shut that kind of thing down. The police were powerless. Wow. And, um, that's the, that's the upside down kingdom right there where, the very people that are the weakest, the most vulnerable, and this is what the Alongsiders movement is all about, the very people that we write off and think of as victims or kids or whatever, they're the very ones who bring the kingdom of God yeah. into our midst in small, subversive ways. Right. Well, you, you guys did that by having, by celebrating and having parties on the block, which I thought yeah. was a really yeah, fascinating to, idea. Um, on welfare day when everyone gets their money and, and, and a lot of folks were trying to stay clean on that day, but the drug dealers were really, um, that was a big target day. We would hold block parties and just invite lots of people. We'd have music and face painting and water, water balloons and just provide some kind of safe space where, uh, you weren't kind of, um, being targeted for drug deals. So it's that, again, it's that upside down kingdom of celebration and joy. Right. Well, what I loved about that is instead of condemning, instead of hollering, instead of, you know, telling them that they're so bad, you just created a space where that wasn't natural for them to be. Right. And yeah. you, and you created a place that was upbeat and uplifting and, and, uh, yeah. and celebratory. And so you, you really brought the kingdom to bear on that, on the block, which I thought was just a really great example of, of how that, how this actually works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have enough condemnation in life. <laughs> what we need is more love, more love, more joy, more welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, so how did you end up back in Cambodia after that? And I, I don't know how long you were, were in Vancouver. We were, we, we were there for seven years and um, we kind of thought that that's where we would be. We don't move anywhere thinking we'll only be there for a few years. Um, but um, I was diagnosed with cancer and um, I, uh, I was turning 40 as well. And those two things kind of make you um, reevaluate your life. 
yeah. they they make you kind of uh, think about what what you're doing. And um, one of the questions that I began grappling with, I think it was a God question, was uh, if I only had five more years to walk this earth, what would I do with those five years? And um, it's not that I wasn't doing good things. I think what we it was hard. The downtown east side, don't get me wrong, it was hard. I bet. But um, we were we were doing good things, you know, we were serving the Lord. But um, God used that time of darkness and just reevaluating my life to just just do a big picture evaluation. Um, and uh, I look back on some of the things that I'd been involved in, and we we had started an alongsiders movement in Cambodia. Uh, alongsiders was growing uh, like wildfire, really, throughout Cambodia. It was bearing a lot of fruit. And particularly in the lives of vulnerable children. And um, as I kind of asked myself, you know, and I looked at what we we're doing with with people struggling with addiction and homelessness and prostitution in the downtown east side. And I knew and they knew um, a lot of that comes from stuff that's happened in childhood. And um, as I would mm. talk to them about what was going on with alongsiders in Cambodia, like my friends who are in addiction, they would say, Man, if I had an alongsider when I was a kid, maybe I wouldn't ended up have ended up where I am now. Yeah, and um, it really it was interesting how much it resonated with my downtown East Side friends. Anyway, I just sensed during this time this alongsiders movement is something not just for Cambodia. This this actually um, would be worth kind of seeing if it goes, if it could fly in other countries. And so we didn't know if it could, we felt nudged by God in that direction, but we thought if we're wrong, I mean, holy smokes, it's, it's worth being wrong on something like this to to go and (laughs) give everything to try and reach the most vulnerable children in the world. I mean, (laughs) I can't think of a better way to spend my last five years on earth than giving a good kick at the bucket of something like this. And so we just went all in, uh, ended up moving back to Cambodia and um, launching alongside as international, which has just spread into 16 countries and uh, is just going crazy. Oh, that's so great. Um, yeah, that's good. You, I'm curious, you mentioned your wife um, and or that you guys, you moved there. Like how, how, what is this like as a, as a married person, when we talk about you and you, you're clearly very driven, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of passion yeah. for this. We, and your, your wife grew up, I guess, in that context, but what, like what you, it takes a special person to, to go along with some of these things that, and live in some of these places that you've been. Yeah, it does. It takes a special, let's be honest, it takes a special person to put up with me. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have to say it's one thing for someone from a, a privileged background to take on poverty. It's another thing for someone who has known poverty to knowingly return to that kind of context. And, um, so her journey mm. is very different from mine. She, we, we couldn't be more different personality-wise. She's much more cautious. Even moving back to Cambodia the second time, I felt like I felt like we should do it months before she did. Wow! And um, I take comfort in the, I take comfort in the Mary and Joseph story of Mary gets this word that she's going to give birth and all of this, and Joseph doesn't doesn't know that for months. <laughs> uh, he gets word much later. And, um, 
So I, I kind of take comfort. Sometimes God does things with timing that, that we, we struggle with. Um, but it's been a part of, of me learning to be a good husband and uh, learning um, to, to love my wife and to, to serve the poor in ways that are, um, are safe and comfortable for her as well. And uh, she's been on a journey as well in, in the opposite direction. So it's been interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. That, that was one thing I kept thinking about as I was reading these stories. And you talk about it a little bit, but that is like there, there's a, you know, it would just be hard. It, it's, you know, it's one thing to be on board, but it's another thing to welcome people into your home. You know, that's your home. And so I can see where that would be, that could yeah. be challenging. You have to be on the same page on, on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, in Subversive Jesus, I talk quite a bit about that, of how we um, how we worked through and, and negotiated some of that stuff and, and came to came to be on the same page. Yeah. yeah, which is, I think, pretty cool as well. Wow. Well, Craig, I think I could talk to you forever and I would I would really love to talk to you more. Um, but I don't know like what. I don't know where else to, to go with that. Where, what else do you feel like God is doing in your, you know, in your, in your life, in your ministry that you're kind of excited about? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think just um, one of the things I really encourage folks to do who are kind of in North America um, in that, in that bubble is to just, um, get out of the bubble, <laughs> just do, do what it takes to get out of your comfort zone and experience and meet, um, other folks. Don't, don't, you don't have to go to serve somewhere for two weeks. Just go and learn and listen and, um, go with a humble posture, um, and just experience maybe what God is doing in other parts of the world, because he is stirring things up all around the world in, in amazing ways. And, um, we're, we're encouraged to be a part of that. I feel like the image that I've been getting from God for the last five years or so is like, there's a wave and, uh, there's a massive wave. And, uh, we as the church can either be standing on the beach, watching the wave go by or, or not even noticing it go by. We can be being drowned by the wave, or we can be up there on top of the wave, just yeah. flailing around trying to, trying to be part of what God's doing. And I know where I want to be. Um, and I encourage other folks to, to get up there. Yeah. All right. So grab your surfboard and uh, <laughs> let's go ride the wave that God is uh, sending our way around yeah, the world. Right on. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Uh, friends, you can find uh, Craig Greenfield at craiggreenfield.com. Um, just click on books and you can get the Urban Halo uh, for free. It's right right there. And uh, also, I wholeheartedly recommend Subversive Jesus. All those links are in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com as well, just to make it easy on you guys. So um, definitely get out and do something. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the bubble. I know that's something that uh, both my wife and I feel God is calling us to do. And so I think we're going to take you up on that advice, Craig. <laughs> right on, man. Thanks for being Come here. Come visit us in Cambodia sometime. We should do that. That would be fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Right on. Right on. 
friends, I just want to give you one more encouragement to reach out. You can hit me up on Facebook or Twitter, or like Sean, he hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm in all those places, but, or you can just go to halfway there podcast.com slash contact. I want to talk with you. So reach out until next time. Keep the faith.